This transportation unit began trapped in a time, Eddie. The moment he can do no more than advise. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and landed at a special Time Eddie edition of Traveling the Vortex. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Well, now I know I have a show title. Woo! <laughs> good. Yeah. Did you guys Tired. have a good con? Exhausted. <laughs> well, I had a great con. It was fantastic. But I think I did, I did it wrong this time because a lot of people go to a con, pick up the con crud... <laughs> And then you for the next week, they're sick. I did it in reverse. Picked up the crud before I went to the con and probably infected everybody You were there. the cruddy. <laughs> I was the cruddy. <laughs> or the crudder. The crudder, I guess, yeah. <laughs> so everybody that received it was the cruddies, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I so uh, that's how that happens, everyone. And I, I just... I powered, people like Glenn. I powered through the week at work because I knew... That if I called in sick, it was going to look really bad because they all knew I was going somewhere for the weekend. <laughs> and I knew they thought, he, oh, he just called in sick Friday so he could go early. So I powered through the week. I, probably worse, uh, the worst was Friday. And it just it just hit me hard. And so uh, took some, you know, over-the-counter cold medicines and powered through it. And I actually felt very good on, on Saturday. You guys noticed Saturday night I was dragging because it was, <laughs> it was bad. And then uh, Sunday, I got. I started feeling. You better, did so. seem a lot better on Sunday. Yeah, I was. Well, it, when I finally went and stopped before we went to dinner and got uh, Dayquil. Oh yeah. And I got the Dayquil Nyquil double pack because I knew I was going <laughs> to need some overnight. When I finally got the Dayquil, I was I, that helped me get through the rest of the evening. But we went back and crashed. But now we're talking. We're not talking about cred. We're talking about the con, which was the, the positive part. Was of this weekend. fantastic. It was fantastic. Now, unfortunately, it, it, no, not unfortunately. Fortunately, it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We mm. weren't able to attend because of work commitments all around. Because Sean ended up not being able to go on Friday because Mel wasn't able to get Friday off. Right. Right. Yeah. So you guys went up. You guys went up late Friday, but we didn't get to go Friday. to the con on Friday. Um, but and, we all joined together yeah. on Saturday morning. So I think. As much as I've enjoyed all the other cons we've done, I've had, I think I had the most fun at this one. Intimacy. Intimacy. It was so much fun. No pressure. No. You don't feel like you had to rush to get things done. There's no lines. I mean, there's lines, but there's I mean, people want to see these people. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't oh, like yeah. you walked into a room and it was barren. But the people, it wasn't overly crowded. Yes, and, and that's what I and that's what I liked about uh, uh, the the Planet Comic Con in the early days. Don't get me wrong, Planet Comic Con. It's, it's phenomenal it's, it's, now, and I love that they're getting – Exactly. Um, but the intimacy of being able to walk up and talk to these guys and have some time with them and, and how I imagine Gallifrey was probably in the beginning and how people talk about Chicago TARDIS being now mm. is still sort, sort yeah. of an intimate con. Um, now, that's not to say I don't want this to grow and oh, get no, bigger def- because I, I if they got more crowds last year no, – this next year as opposed to last year, if they end up doing it next year, I hope they do cross, cross my fingers – um, I hope it gets bigger and gets more popular and get yeah, more people absolutely. there. But uh, it just—it was so nice to be able to really have time to talk to these people and run into them in the hallway and brush elbows with them, and then on oh, just the fans. Yeah, too, getting together with so like-minded fans, and that's the other thing. I think, I think part of my being so concentrated on Doctor Who. Yes, exactly. You, everybody had had that common connection because you guys have Sean's old hat at this at Doctor Who conventions, and you've been to one now. This. And this is my first true. Solo Doctor Who convention, and I just ate it up. Just the fact that everyone was here enjoying and loving on this show that we all enjoy so much it was just did my heart good. 
I feel a little bad from the standpoint that I, I don't feel like I got to do as much of the paneling and some of the other things yeah, that, as, as I always do every time I come back from college, <laughs> like, man, I wish I'd have knocked out another panel. But just being able to sit out in the, in the in atrium the, yeah. in the heart of everything going on around you and have conversations with people. See the costumes fans, talking go with by Mike and, 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 yeah. and, and, and just, just shooting the breeze about who. Oh, so many great was, conversations just about the show we love. Yeah, it was rejuvenating. It was like dipping the, the tree roots in the, the magic stream and going, yeah, I'm ready to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it, I think the thing that you, you guys, you know I'm a different kind of con goer. You guys have spotted it because I kind of go off and I just, I, I people watch. I go set. And oh, I, yeah. And I like that I element like of that it. Too. And the best thing about this one is you're people watching with the, and you're, you're more engaged in conversations when you're – I would rather just like to be there and absorb the essence of it. I don't find myself needing to run to every panel to get it. That's that's one of the things that frustrates me about large cons is I feel like I spend so much time in a line getting the one or two autographs that I want yeah. that I'm missing so much other stuff. I don't get that relaxing sit down and just chat with people. That's part of the reason at Client Comic Con I set aside time to go into the – uh, game room just to go in there and be with people in a common area and just kind of relax and absorb everything. And so this was that because you could be right there in the center of everything with the atrium and sit down. You saw me every time I was, I'd find a couch, go sit down, just kind of relax, <laughs> go just drink it absorb in. it all if in. If I was ready to get up and go in the dealer room, look at dealer stuff, I'd go up and go look at dealer stuff. If I was ready to get up and go get my autograph, I'd go get my autograph. I'm ready to get up and go to a panel. That was one of the reasons we were sitting on those one couches because our <laughs> panel was right next to it. But, um, that's the kind of con that I, lo- I love. And again, there's nothing disparaging to any other cons that we go to because they are a different beast. But yeah. th- th- this one is, is so much fun because of that intimacy and that personalization of it. Uh, and, and the one single topic that, it, that is the focus. I, I, I think the, big, the single topic helps a lot for it too. Because instead of like British Press, which is a nice intimate con, there's just – everyone's focused on the same thing and the same yeah. subject. And yeah. instead of – Oh, I like this. Well, I don't really like that. I like this instead. It's it's unity more yeah, than anything else. Exactly. Um, and the I, celebrities were were wonderful. This hotel was fantastic too. Yeah, I, I liked the venue for this. Now, I I was a little. I'll be quite honest. I was a little skeptical about how the paneling was set up because they had the one large atrium for the big panels, which I think was perfect. Worked really well. It was. It Could was, have used a better sound system. Yeah, better sound system. Back. But it was it was off on its own. It was a large room, very accommodating for a lot me of people. A bit of the original. Planet Comic-Con. Yeah, big, absolutely. Big con room. Very accommodating, and it had a, a perfect staging area you could see from anywhere you were in there. Um, and so that was good. The other panel tower, which I thought was odd at first, but actually I kind of enjoyed it once we got in doing our panel, was having the one other panels being in that feel little like atrium a area. Panel. That's it didn't. What it felt nice like you were sitting it. down just engaging with people that were there talking the with on, you. The, on, the only struggle there was... There was so much close by hearing hearing on. what was going on. We almost needed to have those situations over on the putting greens, <laughs> or even not even well over by the pool table area because there was yeah. kind of an open area yeah. between the yeah, shuffleboard that, that area. area. That's what I mean. And yeah, yeah. That, that yeah the putting greens I think would would maybe uh, nobody putted the whole weekend <laughs> we were there, so we could have been on the putting greens, I suppose. But yeah, it was no, just agreed. sometimes hard to hear. Agreed. That was the only downside. And of those I think panels. maybe next year, if we do kind of the same thing, we'll just take charge and be there early and move everything a little <laughs> further away. But because <laughs> there were, we're this is where the panel area is. Not you know, even if we'd moved like fifteen twenty feet, oh, it yeah. would have been better. But um, but again, once we sat down and started talking to people and engaging people, it was much more. It was much that more was one of the funnest and, panels yeah, I've done. I agree. I completely agree. And if you're joining us after uh, finding us at that panel on New Who, um, welcome. 
we, we, we obviously had a, a blast <laughs> talking to <laughs> you. Um, the, I, I was a little, I had to kind of reset my brain a little bit because when you announced, oh, we're going to do this, this convention and we're over here at the, um, the best Western and it was kind of like, oh, I remember doing those at those kinds of, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you get so used to, you bigger, know, bigger, what, what has yeah. come with bigger convention and bigger. centers as convention opposed centers. to hotel convention centers. Okay. So it's like, even British fashion moved up to convention center. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That was, it was more of a convention center than a hotel. Yeah. The mid America center was, yeah. it. but, um, so okay, so that we were going to be, and then you walk into this place, and it's, it's, it's very obviously one of those that it looks like almost like an older motel that they had put the atrium area mm-hmm. was you know the outside maybe it was it a parking like lot a or a pool though. or something, a you know because there's out exterior brick walls but you're inside and it's just like this is a little without odd. the dome, yeah. <laughs> and I, I've heard a lot of the guests apparently were just just bemused by the whole. Oh, is it? Is this what American the, architecture the is Colin was just Colin Baker, fans. Col- Colin Baker was uh, struck by the fact that uh, it looked like they were on the set of the prison, uh, the prisoner, <laughs> because they had the the the, the railing around around and the, the big, and you, almost like you had the uh, prison yard, and then the railing where the uh, 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 guards would stand. Because you know? yeah. there's, there's, there's this, it's a two story thing, and the the, the balcony rooms. Looked, looked out into the, inter- the yeah, yeah, thing. So there, were, there was a, yeah, guys up there with machine guns, maybe. <laughs> but I, 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 I don't mean to diminish it in any way. I think they, for, for what they had, I think they did a fantastic job setting it up, laying it out. I enjoyed the venue a lot. It could I think have been were, utilized a little better. I think there were a couple things organization-wise that maybe they could have improved on with how things were set up. But that's a, that's Then a again, m- it's an early con. It is it's the, the, first, first it's the first year, year, and everybody in their infancy takes that first year to realize what worked and what didn't work, and they always start to make changes from there. Planet Comic Con was the same thing. In fact, Planet Comic Con has become so well-oiled because of the, they do look at the past experiences and – they look to the future and they say, "This is what we did good. And this is what we can do better." And, and they I, go and they also go to other cons to see how what, what they do well. And the reason I go back to them is because that's one of the ones that I've been to year after year after year and seen how they've completely grown and, and worked that machine out. And I can see Time Eddie doing the same thing, saying, "Okay, this is what worked this year. This is how we'll do it next year, and and it'll work better out." Better yeah, off. I think so too. But again, everybody was super friendly. Yes. Everybody was the the, the, the fans super were great. The guests were great. Um, the dealer's room was was great. I just they, they had a lot of it's been way too much than I probably should have in the dealer's room. <laughs> Tulsa Tardis. Oh, that TARDIS gorgeous. Was gorgeous! Yes, it was. Yeah, and they, they they made only. I mean, they told us it's the most screen accurate Tardis in North America, and there's there's no denying it is a beautiful. I haven't seen box. the rest of the screen accurate ones to say definitively it is, but I'll take their word for it. <laughs> it is the most screen accurate one that I have come across so far. <laughs> Agreed. Well, at least current screen accurate. Yeah. Well, some of the ones we've seen look quite a lot like... Uh, <laughs> like Collins. <laughs> like or... Collins. <laughs> the, the distressed TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it is a gorgeous... I do not mind giving them my money to take that picture. Was Collins, yeah. Collins distressed? Collins that was, was kind of the, the lighter so blue. That puts and... Doctor in Distress even more perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor and TARDIS in Distress. <laughs> well, the amount of work that Colin did to it, too. It would, you know, every, time we'd, we'd, every time we'd come to a Colin episode and he'd have one of the roundels off and having wires pulled yeah. out, it, it, it really yeah. felt like the TARDIS was getting to be a fixer-upper. Well, not to mention, he was the only one that fixed the chameleon circuit. And it, and it actually did yeah. change twice. It worked. So maybe it forgot what the exterior was supposed to look like, and it looked a little more worn. Yeah. <laughs> Head cannon accepted. 
That's why it changes size too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think just across the board, the, co- uh, the costumes were great. Um, I saw a lot, a lot of, of great costumes. Oh, a lot of really a lot of missies. Did you notice that? Yeah, lots of missies. The Yeti costume that was Yeti there was Yeti. fantastic. The only thing that I lament is I was so, and I'm going to blame the cold meds on this. I was so, <laughs> I was so just kind of number one in awe of being at a Doctor Who convention in, in the Kansas. Midwest in Kansas, and then also being in the, under the influence of cold medicines. I didn't take as many pictures as I had intended to. I so walk luckily, away, I walk away from every single convention and say I didn't take as many pictures as I should have. I do too, but I walked away from this one going. Oh, everything that I've done in the past has surmounted the amount of pictures <laughs> I took of this. This one. was still even small for me. Yeah. But. So, but luckily, Sean and Mel had taken a ton of pictures, which they've already posted some of them online, which is wonderful. So, yeah. um, and with all things, if you go to our Facebook page, because they they're, they're not they're on my page right now, and you're welcome to friend and me they're on, on my Facebook. Page, I don't you care. Can do the same. Um, we'll eventually get them all lumped together and posted not only on our website but also on the Traveling the Vortex Facebook page. And if you see yourself in a photo, tag yourself. That's by all means. That that is a Please. standard thing. You don't have to contact us and ask. If you would want to contact us, fantastic. We're not going to shy you away. But just tag yourself in that yeah. photo. You're part of the or, community. Or tag people you know. Or tag people oh, you yeah. know. Don't, don't tag photos that really aren't the people they are. We do ask that you not do that. <laughs> hey, look, Bob Dole was there. <laughs> that's not Dole. That's a Yeti. <laughs> yeah, I went there. They went there, huh? <laughs> I don't think I don't think Dole has that much meat on his bones anymore. <laughs> True, he's not that old robotic. I didn't though. notice. Was the Eddie holding a pen? <laughs> but um, yeah, no. Tag yourself in the photos, and we'll get them hosted, and it'd be a lot of fun. But so, what, I, your guys' celebrity interactions were good. Very good. Lots of fun. Well, of course, uh, Sean and I had a little one-up on you because we got to yeah. do a few more interviews. But uh, Well, and I got to go get more inter- or autographs because yeah. you guys had already had these. That's another thing is, <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you about my autograph session because I went in there. Because Nicola is the only one. I, mean, I don't have Victor's, but Nicola was the only one I was shooting for this time because I already have Frazier. I got his in person. I already have uh, Deborah Watling because I got her in person and I got Peter Purvis when he, all three of them were out at Gallifrey two, three years ago when I was out there. And so I had already had them and, and had had lovely chats with them. And I knew that we were going to have a bit of a chat on stage with Fraser and, uh, well, Deborah. We, we knew Deborah. We knew and Deborah. Victor. Oh, we, we did Deborah know Deborah. Well, we Deborah I, Deborah. I told you guys we in the back of my we mind, suspected. I suspected that Fraser was going to be in there. So, I didn't They're necessarily... kind of joined at the hip. Now, was like, had, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm coming to that. Then. Had, had, <laughs> had, you know, had I not known that, I probably would have gone and got a little more personal at their tables. But, but knowing that, I went in to get Nicola's autograph. And of course, she's sitting right next to Colin Baker because there's the perfect pairing there. And I went in there, and I, I was with Keith, and he knows I him and Hod because I sit there and go, you know, I could get a twofer here. I could get Nicola and Colin on the same photograph. I don't have any of those. And, I, and then I've got Nicola, but I've already got Colin's autograph that Sean brought back to me. And then I thought, but I didn't get that one personally, so this would be me getting it and actually talking to it. <laughs> so I talked myself into it when I got the two first, and I, which I was much pleased that I did that because then I got to kind of chat a little bit. Not for very long because yeah, I, I was a bit starstruck and didn't have a lot to say. <laughs> but I did tell Colin that he was looking very fit. Forgetting what the connotation of what that in the United Kingdom is, and then went, well, I meant healthy, not fit. In the way, and he turned, he looked up at me and said, "Well, you know, if I was, if I was, uh, how do you say? It? He said, 
If I were to say it that way too, I'd say, you're awful fit too, lovely. <laughs> I said, well, thank you. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Anyway. And I'm going to end this interaction before it goes any further south. <laughs> I was eating it up. I was like, yeah, go, yeah. okay, be my boyfriend. No. Um, so, yeah, I say that was, that was a pleasure. Uh, but that was really the only interacting I kind of did with them because then later I did sit in on uh, their After Who panel. Mm. Uh, that they did, so I got a lot more just to be able to sit down and listen to them. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I didn't. Do. I didn't get to sit down on any of their panels. Having, I, I, I felt more bad about not being able to sit down for Nicola's panels because I saw Colin at Kansas City Comic Con, uh-huh. and I already have his autograph. But I was at least able to go up and talk to Nicole, Nicola and get her autograph, and she was very kind and very nice and very friendly, which was always a pleasure. Um, God, she looks great. She, she does look oh really gosh, good. She looks so good. I mean, I've had a little crush on Perry most of my life anyway, but forever. <laughs> <laughs> to see her in person and see that she's still a very lovely lady. Oh my gosh! And then I also went up and uh, I got Jamie and sorry, Fraser and Deborah at the same time, and that was wonderful. Did we you do two for or two separates. Two separates. Two separates. I've been doing all separates. Um, we went up to Fraser first, and Sarah was with me, and we talked with her, with him a little bit, and he was mostly talking to her, which was, which was I, didn't, I had no problem with. They were talking about her uh, hoodie, which was the U.S. Army, and they were talking about he was how he didn't know how some of the bases worked, etc. And we chatted a little bit, and then uh, I picked out my picture, and he was like, "Oh yes," and we talked about the picture from the invasion of how, and I, I talked to him about how much I enjoyed his interactions with the two of them and how they felt like the perfect pairing to me and how much I loved them always touching each other. And he pointed out like all the pictures of, yes, we're touching here, 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 here. And we just love to touch each other, (laughs) you know, grabbing each other and, you know, yeah, but he was with Zoe in the invasion. That's why I'm confused. Oh yeah. But no, him and the doctor. Sorry. Oh, the doctor. Okay. I was going, my my pictures with, I mean, mean with the doctor. So you were sitting there in front of Deborah Watling saying, I just think you and Jamie and Zoe and Jamie were so wonderful. The pairing was perfect. (laughs) And I can imagine Deborah over there going, Oh, okay. No, I meant (laughs) him and and, and Patrick. Him and Patrick are the OTP. I gotcha. I gotcha. I gotcha. (laughs) And then we went over and got Deborah's uh, autograph and she was very, so nice. And we, Sean and I had gone up and and introduced ourselves before knowing we were going to interview her on the panel and then she still recognized me and um Deborah is a, just an absolute delight she is Mel, Mel and I got so to spend charming. just about five minutes with her just outside of her table she came outside a galley and, and stepped out to the pool area just to oh look there's an outdoors you know you kind of get those <laughs> moments at the con especially the bigger ones where you're, you're and she just kind of stepped out and just you could just see her brighten up kind of you know supermaning soaking in the sun kind of just oh there is a sun and and we got to spend just five minutes with her just because we didn't want to bother her. But she was just such a delight. And so to see her again was just... She was, she, and very sweet. She, she's so sweet. She asked uh, Sarah and I, oh, are, are you guys friends? Or how do you know each other? We're married. Oh, I thought you were his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> we both go, no. <laughs> That's the first huge, huge compliment to Sarah. Yeah, she's huge like uncomplimented. <laughs> Apparently, I was looking really old on on Saturday. I blame the overnight shift. <laughs> you do look like you've aged since you've started the overnights. 
Oh. You were even feeling better Saturday. Yeah, I, was feel, I, was feeling, I was feeling rather sick on uh, Friday, and I was feeling much better Saturday. One of my regrets is I didn't get a chance to interact with Daphne this time. Me too. And I, I, went and saw I, Daphne. I intended oh. to go over, and in fact, I went into the autograph room. But she had two or three people in line, and my initial thought, well, I kind of waved, and she kind of looked over and waved. And then my initial thought was, well, I'll come back. And so I went back out, and then I just never got back. Well, they ended up moving her out to that other atrium. And or the front atrium area, and then I, I just for some reason I just neglected that area and I forgot all about it until we were leaving. And I thought, oh, I didn't stop and say hi. I, I, we we did. Mel and I went over and stopped and said hi to her on Sunday, and uh, which was a little bit easier because Sunday was a, a much slower day was than Saturday. Shorter, yeah. Saturday was nuts, um, but but Sunday was a little little calm. Just a note to con organizers everywhere: I've figured this out. Here's how you do this: if you're going to do a three day con, you start late Friday, open your con about four o'clock. Let people get off work and not worry about taking the day off if they don't want to. Give your vendors and everybody time to set up and be ready Friday. All day Friday you can set up. And you don't have that Thursday night thing to deal with. And then you open Friday and you go as late as you want. Maybe you go all the way to midnight. Who knows? And so you kind of have that late night. And then Saturday you have the big day and you're open all day from you know 10 to 10 or 10 to midnight, whatever. And then Sunday, eh, we're going to give you a chance to sleep in. We're going to open at noon and we're going to go to about 3. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Uh, That's how you do that. I'll tell you why they don't do that. Most vendors will, most all vendors will only sign for three day con, and it has to be three full days because they want to make sure they get three full days of sale time. But so nobody shows up. They don't. But <laughs> but that's in fact, I talked to Gypsy, and that was one of the things that he said was you you've got to do three full days in order to get the number of vendors and the amount to the type of vendors that you want to get there because they want they want it's 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 not worth their time to come set up and just be open for a few hours on Friday, a full day on Saturday, and a few hours on Sunday. So unfortunately, they're kind of caged to that right yeah. now. So I just think I just think you'd have a much better response from people if they didn't feel that. Because we've all three, been to cons where Sundays for small is cons is a lot of days. It's a lot of and stuff. Once oh, yeah, you've done everything, and a good number of people probably did everything they wanted to do on Saturday, so you don't either don't come back on Sunday. And I think uh, a three-day sales will probably be a reflection of that. If they sold a lot of three-day sales last year, or last year, this, this last year, and but the numbers still dwindled, they might realize that people bought passes for three days but didn't utilize all three days. If it was a hold-off and a lot of people didn't buy three-day passes because they weren't sure what to expect and so they were buying single days as they came, then that yeah. might be an indicator of, of where those go. So it's going to yeah. be kind of a, a, a look at the numbers and feel for them to see what... And it's, like I said, it's not forward. just time, Eddie. I, I, I thought TopCon was kind of another one of those. But just because if you do a three-day con and you're there for the weekend... By the time Sunday rolls around, you're exhausted. Yeah, yeah. You, you just you, so Sunday's kind of a day anyway, and nobody's really feeling it in the mood. I'll Everybody you, kind of gets to that point where it's like, I'm ready to pack up. It was home, one of the so. things I liked about Sunday was going there and being even more relaxed and didn't feel pressure because I'd done kind of everything I wanted to yeah, do. On Sunday, with the exception of uh, Colin and Nicholas panel, which I wanted to get to one of those. Uh, but we all end up, you know, we didn't stay until. Uh, as late as we could have on Saturday, Keith and Sarah had to actually get back because Keith was working. On Sunday. We le- Sunday is what I meant, sorry. Uh, we left early because Caitlin, I, I brought Caitlin, and for people that don't know, I took Caitlin with me, and she was super excited. I don't think it was exactly what she expected it she to be. She was a trooper through the whole thing, But though. Saturday, I think she got the most out of it because she was yeah. able to do the scavenger hunt, which was for kids 13 and under. So she was able to do that. And the cool thing about that is they gave you a paper that had certain things. Like one of them was find a doctor with an umbrella. Another was find a doctor with a scarf. Another was a uh, companion with marks on their arms. Another was a uh, K-9 
character that's not a companion, those kind of things. And what you did is you went around to cosplayers. If you found these, then you had them sign your paper. When you took it in, you turned it in, and then they had a drawing. And I think the grand prize winner got a signed CD of uh, Tescadons. Uh, what's uh, Victor Pemberton's story? Tescadons? It just escaped me. What's the full name of that? Uh, Doctor Who and the Tescadons. <laughs> Why can't I remember that? <laughs> Doctor Who and the Tescadons. Uh, was a signed CD of that. Oh. And then other prizes were these little buttons, the little yeah. uh, pin-on buttons that you can get, which Caitlin actually won one of those. And thank you to Colton, who, if he's listening to this, I don't think we stressed enough, thank you for picking the button up because we were <laughs> at dinner when they announced the winners. So, again, I want to say, I think we thanked him at the con, but I don't think we expressed our gratitude for him going out of his way doing that because we didn't even ask him to. Oh, we yeah. just we he weren't was... thinking about it. We left. He was there. He heard Caitlin's name, looked around, realized we weren't there, and so he claimed the prize for her and got it to her. So that was huge thanks. I mean, I'm, if he doesn't listen to us, I'll send an email out to him or a, <laughs> a post to him on Facebook thanking him again. But um, So that was neat. And then she also – her favorite panel – was which I wish we'd have got to go in and do, but we were doing in the middle of an oh, interview. Yeah. Was the uh, the great jelly baby quiz, and it was only about a twenty sec or twenty second, twenty thirty minute thing. In fact, Sarah went in down with her, uh, luckily because uh-huh. I couldn't break away. And what they did is went in this room and they had the guy on the stage. And he was kind of a quiz master, and he was asking Doctor Who questions, and then. If you answer right, he'd throw jelly babies at you into the audience. And she thought that was such the, a clever she idea. That was the funnest thing in the world. It was, you got it? Yep, here, jelly baby. And he just, you know, of course, he's, she said, you know, I didn't answer. She said, once I answered right, I didn't get jelly babies for because somebody else had answered. And there was a couple of times that I didn't get the answer, but I managed to get the jelly baby. <laughs> Sarah said people were diving over themselves. Yeah. So, like, jelly baby hit the floor. They didn't care. Yeah. Like, gonna do <laughs> so. And I, I, maybe we should do that. I think we should. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should throw jelly babies at people who ask questions we in the next panel. Oh, yeah. We yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just tipped our hands. Maybe we should just throw <laughs> jelly babies at yeah, people. Why not? <laughs> But Let's I just thought it with a whole very bag. clever. And Ow. unfortunately, the other cool thing I was looking forward to, but it, the, uh, the panel fell apart because somebody got sick and something else happened. But it was the whose line anyway they were going to do on Sunday that didn't get to happen. But I think Caitlin would have enjoyed that. That would have well. been a fun one but, too. Yeah, it's that kind of a shame. That they... uh, but she she was a real trooper, and she Saturday I think she had a lot of fun. Now Sunday she was a bit bored, and that was the day that I had kind of reserved secretly because she was wanting she was chomping at the bit to go in there on Saturday. To go in because they have one of the game rooms like they do at Planet Comic Con oh, yeah, yeah, where you yeah. can go check out a game and play a game. And she wanted to go try some of the games. So Saturday I kind of left that and we broke off for about an hour and, and went and, and played some of the uh, games. So she, she got to enjoy it. The, the cool thing was we went in there. I'm, I'm monopolizing a lot of our time here. Guys, sorry. It. I went in there and we went. We knew this, the, 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 the schedule. You go in and you, go, you give them your ID and they take your ID until you turn the game back in. We checked out a few games. We played. Uh, we went with Flux first because we know Flux. But there was a Martian Flux on there that we hadn't played before. So we mm. played that. And that game went rather quick, quickly. Then we did another game. And I don't know if you've heard this. It's called Circus. But it's, it's, uh, it's a spinoff of Blockus. Oh. Except for you're oh, trying to circles. make. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily Circles. It's it's. Eight-sided octagon. No, it wasn't an octagon. It must be a septagons, uh, or stars, Decepticons? or stars within those. So you're trying to make shapes, okay? Yeah, and uh, you get points for shapes, and it's a really easy scoring system. It was real easy, um, real quick though. Again, because there was two players. Well, then I realized we went up to go look for another game, and I realized that it was almost time for Colin's panel. I said, "Well, can we go listen to Colin's panel now?" And she said, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine." And the the guy that's running the room had a family sitting there, and they were playing a game, and he goes, "Well, you just stay here and play with us." 
And we said, yeah, if you don't mind. And, and Caitlin said, oh, I want to stay. And so it's like, <laughs> absolutely. So Caitlin got to stay and play. And she played uh, Wizard of Oz Flux with them. And they started something else. I can't remember what she told me it was. But she got to play a few more games while I went down and listened to the panel. So. I, when I, I went to find you for one of the interviews and went into the game room and you weren't there. And Caitlin was there with a group of strangers. <laughs> and I thought... And only at a small con you could do that. Yeah. Well, that was I, nice it's, it's a Doctor Who con. They're friendly people. And I just asked her, just, where's your dad at? You know, we went to the panel. Oh, okay. <laughs> you having fun? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that was the end of my concern. <laughs> but no, I... We went in the Daphne. By the way, says hi, friend okay. of the show, Daphne Ashbrook, who played Grace, um, and and she she remembered. She said, "So refresh me where we I said, "Well, we met you at Galway, but then we we had the great privilege of you know you were on your uh, your panel at Planet Comic Con." She goes, "That's where it is, okay." And she says, "And how are the guys?" And and, and so we talked a little bit. And just, I wish I would have gone and talked to her then. You know, as, as always, she's a wonderful delight, and uh, highly recommend if you get the chance to go see and talk to her, and. Um, Again, all the guest interactions I think were great, and we. Um, the only other one I had that I didn't haven't mentioned is Peter Purvis. I went and got his autograph and talked to him, and he was very, very friendly, very kind, and he seemed like he was maybe a little bored, so he chatted a little bit more than he probably normally would have. So that was an even greater pleasure. And Colin seemed like he was in good spirits, and it's twice. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, <laughs> I was singing. I was taught to sing. Sorry, recording during the day, so there's going to be <laughs> phones going off because we have lives. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was, it was a good all around con. And while we're passing around thank yous, we we owe several. Um, we we owe one to a friend of the show and the local author Robert, Robert Collins, Collins, who uh, Robert just. Um, in addition to uh, apparently selling a lot of books at his table this yeah, weekend, he did well this and weekend. having a great weekend. Uh, Robert worked very tirelessly to kind of help shag people for us to bring in and, and promoted the podcast quite a little he bit. Secured mm. people for he us. secured Let's people. Be careful of the British colloquialism <laughs> that that could have implied. <laughs> fetched, <laughs> yeah, fetched <laughs> work, secured. But so thank you, Robert, for that because yeah, he, he worked very tirelessly on that. Including one of the you ones can you shag won't. cables, you can't shag people. <laughs> that might be the wrong term. Yeah. Including one of the people you won't hear in upcoming, but Mike from the Time Scoop podcast. Hello, it was a pleasure Hi, to meet you and uh, able to sit down and chat with yeah, him. Yeah, it was a great is, conversation we had. He's very early on starting his podcast, and I hopefully we were able to lend uh, some help. Um, that was one of the things that kind of happened was. Our panel for the second day on Sunday fell through. Still not sure why. But it wasn't on the schedule. <laughs> we didn't show up on the schedule. And it didn't so fall we went, because we were there. We had told a couple of people, and Mike specifically, we were going to do it. And so what we did is we went over there and went ahead and was there available in case anybody showed up. And Mike came by. And so we were able to sit down and chat with him. And Ben, I want to thank Ben yes. uh, Buckles for hosting us. The, the cool thing was Saturday night, he had a – unfortunately, we got – we got in late as far as getting our rooms, so we all ended up having to stay off site because the con rooms filled up rather quickly, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And so, but Ben had gotten a uh, room on site, and so he had brought uh, tea with him and some china, and he invited us for, up for tea um, and hosted us with tea and some conversation. And he talked a little bit about his panel that he did on Friday that unfortunately we all missed. Yeah, but he, which um, is one of the ones I really want. Me to too. <laughs> and uh, so, but he went over a lot of the things he talked about, showed us some of the books and some of the correlations, and and, and discussed with us a little bit of what he talked about in his panel, uh, how he related things. 
and uh, he had uh, – do you notice he had his room kind of uh, britted out? He had a, a yeah. pillow and a, and, and a little bear that had the little bridge thing on it. And, uh, and some picture frames on his – Some frames yeah. on the on – the, uh, uh, Armoire, or whatever it was. Well, and, and on the nightstand. Oh, did he have some on the nightstand? Had, I didn't see the one on the nightstand. Royalty on the nightstand. Oh, I did see that. Okay, I did see that. I didn't see that. And anyway, he hosted us for tea and conversation and, and biscuits. And, and the tea uh, was del- wonderful. Uh, Caitlin enjoyed some of the that. Best probably. Tea I've had. <laughs> I had the uh, what was that? What I had the. Prince, it, was, it was all the same. We all had the same Prince Wales. But but I had. Uh, oh, did, did we? Yeah, yeah I we thought it was. Given, well, no, we all had Prince. Well, he handed out I think that. a couple of other packets, but yeah. he wanted us to have the proper. Okay, so Prince, it was of, Wales. Prince of Wales that we uh, all had. Now, oh, that's right. He gave the different. Even though away, you drank it neat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I like my tea. I like how I like my tea. Yeah, I knew. I knew as soon as I was going to say nothing in it. I knew he was going to look at me like what? But yeah, I'm sorry. That's just the way I like my tea. Um, to me, it becomes sweet water when you start putting stuff into it. You don't get the tea flavor. So anyway, um, and Caitlin actually had a good time. Now, mostly because he was uh, handing out biscuits, which for <laughs> us Yanks, that's cookies. Cookies. <laughs> my daughter uh, probably ate about. Eight of the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> she tried the Jammy Dodger. She did not like the Jammy Dodger. There was a different Jammy Dodger than we were used to. She tried what was similar to the yeah. It had a lot more uh, raspberry on the outside. It wasn't as covered with the small hole. It was uh, yeah. The, the raspberry wasn't as yeah spread out. exactly. Uh, it was a thinner layer of raspberry too. I thought yeah. And 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 the um, biscuit part was a little less graham cracker cookie ish and more. Actual cracker. Okay, I didn't. Know, I thought it. I, I thought it was more shortbread than it was. Yeah, but there was still a little bit more than. It wasn't as sweet. It wasn't a sweet yeah, shortbread yeah, at all. Okay, yeah. we we're quite the connoisseurs. Of so now, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, but yeah, and of course he had chocolate chip cookies there. So yeah, and the little Milano's and ones, yeah. yeah. So, um, so she quite enjoyed that. And then as we left, he he had told us a story about how he had followed up Peter Purvis and. Uh, Courtney, oh, I forget her last name. The Galvin Ellis played. George, yeah, Ellis George. George. Um, he he followed that up, and so uh, a lot of people had left, but some people had stayed. So he recruited a, one of the young uh, boys that was there to. He had a lot of what he does is he gets Doctor Who magazines to fill out his collection, but in order to fill out his collection, a lot of times he has to buy them in lots just to get the one or two he needs. So he ends up with about ten, you know, magazines, and he pulls the two he needs, and he has all these extras. So what he did is he brought them and he gave them to this boy and said, "Would you pass these out?" So what he was able to do is give everybody in the room a magazine, a Doctor Who magazine. Everybody We're talking classic his, magazines from everybody like the who 1980s, came to his panel got a 90s. Doctor Who magazine. Everybody came to his panel got a magazine. And he did his thing. And then he said later, somebody came to him and had heard that he had got, they had given out free magazines and asked. And he says, yeah, you weren't in the panel, so you don't get a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so everybody got a nice little treat that stayed for his panel, which I thought was nice. Anyway, knowing that we had missed the panel and had to get the brief synopsis recap, he had magazines waiting for us that we could pick out as well while we were there. So we each took a magazine with us as well when we left from the, uh, his hosting us that night. So, and thank you again, Ben, because that was just it was a a, a really nice way, really, to end Saturday. Yeah, oh, yeah kind, kind it of really was a nice was. wind nice down. Cap. It certainly was. the The interesting thing about it too was um, we have seen we've we we interact a lot with Ben online mostly. Even though he's in Topeka, we've always wanted to go. He has a Thursday night, uh, Friday night Who Watch every week where they went through the entire catalog of everything. And they're still going. They are still going. 
And uh, we've always meant to, but we all have those schedules that we can't. And so a lot of times we'll see him at different occasions or at different events, and we get brief amount of times to talk to him, and we don't ever get to really engage as much. It was nice to be able to sit down for you know a good hour and really kind of talk to him, yeah. and kind of just you know, get to know each other. And so that was a lot of fun. We were it was it was nice to really to be able to sit down and, and finally talk to him about a lot of things that that we all have in common. So quite enjoyable. Uh, Who am I forgetting? I, I, I wonder that we had another thank you that we needed to throw out, and now it's escaped my brain. Well, obviously, all the Sean uh, born with uh, is that how you say his last name uh, yeah. with. Um, Kansas City uh, time or not Kansas City time? Which who is a Wichita? He was actually working security. I didn't know that, but he, until he said, you know, it's, "It's an easy con to work security. There's not a lot of problems." Uh, <laughs> I got to chat with him real quick. He did invite us to a party in the room, but we were so exhausted, and by the time we had gone and met up with Ben, I was and then still uh, having to go and check in, and, and yeah, I still had to check in, and the the cold was just smacking me in the face about that point, and so uh, unfortunately we missed the Hoovians party, but. Uh, maybe next time. <laughs> but thank you for the invite on that. Yeah, and, and thank you to Kieran, the organizer, who yes. allowed us to be a part of the, this convention. I'm gonna. We're gonna sign off, and I'm gonna drive home, and then go. <laughs> that's that's who it was. That's who it was. <laughs> so we'll have to listen. Well, again. thank you to everybody, <laughs> each and everybody that was there, and yes. we just covered everything. There we go. It's blank. But uh, no, we hope we, if you if you, this was your first con and you were there, um, we hope you had a, as good a time as we did. And certainly, if uh, you um, you know joined us at one of the panels, we we did uh, New Who, which was so much fun and just a delight a to sit and talk fun. with everybody that was there. Um, thank you for that, and we hope you found us through through that. And, and some great questions, too. great questions, yeah. and and just you know. I think what really touched me was when uh, the, the the group of I'm going to call them younger kids, but even though they weren't, but when they came up and and said, "We just love the fact that you guys are like, know who is bad who," and they were just so excited about yeah. that, and it's just like, oh, I'm touched. <laughs> just, that that really made my day. That was yeah. a, that was an awesome bit. Um, and anybody who joined us then later for the uh, the very awesome uh, Victor Pemberton and Fraser Hines and Deborah Watling panel that we got to moderate there. That was not that there was much moderating with Fraser, but. <laughs> Not that you can moderate. Not that Frazier. you can moderate Frazier. But it was a lot of fun talking to those guys. Yeah. And oh, they, so they're much a hoot. Fun. And they did they really play off each other really well. It was really just a lot of fun to listen Even to. Even after all these years, you yeah. can tell they're just great friends. Yeah. Um but we have a few treats for you on this show. Um we were able to actually sit down and do some one on one interviews as we were there as well. And we were, uh, had the, the great fortune, uh, Sunday to sit down and, and spend some time with the legend, Mr. Peter Purvis, who played Stephen on Dr. Who opposite the first doctor, Stephen Taylor. And, uh, almost said Tyler, that not Tyler, not, not Tyler, not the singer. The, the astronaut. Me taught us that the astronaut. And, uh, we also got to, uh, to, to, uh, spend some time with Mr. Lars Pearson, who is the editor, publisher and, editor. and publisher over at. Bad Norwegian, Bad Norwegian Press. Press. <laughs> and they're the ones that do Chicks Dig Time Lords, Chicks Unravel Time, About Time, right? About Time. All, uh, the, all of those great... Running Through Corridors. Yes. Um, they've got a lot of... They, they do a lot of different genre stuff, but they do have a specific Doctor Who uh, yeah. genre stuff that they do as well. Most recently, Companion Chronicle. Yeah. 
which was a, a lot of fun to talk to Lars. And then uh, we're going to lead off with uh, another legend, uh, Mr. Victor Pemberton, who was uh, around during the uh, second Doctor's tenure and uh, very involved in the, some behind-the-scenes uh, aspects of the show, including uh, being a script editor for Tomb of the Cybermen and the writer of Fury from, Fury the, Deep. from the Deep. And uh, is, well, unfortunately Which, not credited, <laughs> but should be. This is the man that created the Sonic Screwdriver. Yeah. It was it was it was his invention. Well, I guess he's credited because his name's on the story in which he wrote. I thought you were going to say he's uh, he's an uncredited actor as well. He's an uncredited actor. Moon base. As well. he, he plays a scientist in the moon base. He's an extra. Yeah. But uh, Victor was a, Victor's a joy to talk to, and I think that'll come across in, as as we get into that interview. Um, and he was he was just he's a lot of fun and wealth of knowledge from that era. So. All right. Well, let's give those a listen. <laughs> we're talking with Victor Pemberton. Uh, you are. I think, are, I, I think you are. I think I am. Yeah. Uh, who is uh, obviously a very long time association with the show. Mm. You were credited as script editor on Tomb of the Cybermen. That's right. Which we just recently watched. We actually watched that Friday yeah. night kind of to refresh. Yeah. And uh, one of the stories that I remember coming out of Tomb is when they're getting ready to go in, uh, they, they've just opened the tomb, mm. and the doctor and Jamie are supposed to take Victoria's hands and walk her into the tomb. And apparently Troughton and uh, and Frazier had worked out something ahead of time where they grabbed each other's hands and started yes. to move forward, realized it, and then broke it off. Were you on set that day when that story yes, happened? Yes, I was. I was on set for most of the time. Um, How did you react to that? Because I know the director well, was a little flustered but realized they didn't have time to reshoot it. <laughs> but you see, um, Patrick was an instinctive actor. He... For an actor, the business is very important. Business is very important. Homework is very important. Things that are impromptu are the best. Yeah. Things that you don't work out too much. You suddenly, and that is that's more natural. And I was there, and I know that you, um, Morris, Morris Barry, who was the director, he was very fascinating. But he, he was a great character. I was also on the set when. Um, they first see the the, um, the tombs. And it was a brilliant set. Yeah, it was brilliant. Detail. When you consider the size, the size of the studio, you know, which was just like that, with the wobbly sets and everything, I was terrified. Being the right, I really had no right to be there. But you, if, if you've put your hand on the set or got too near it or something, the whole thing will go over. <laughs> but they built this marvellous set and there were all these I think I think it was three above and three below I think but I remember going into the studio and the only thing that worried me was that it looked too bare and I said to I said to the designer I said wouldn't it be a good idea if uh, when they come out when they gradually come out with the spooky music and everything if you put some dried ice in there into the thing and then, as they open it, obviously, well, you, you've probably seen it, then you get all the kind of condensation yeah. of the ice and everything. And it worked beautifully. Well, and it's a masterful piece that... It's a very long sequence. It is. Where they, they you know, the Cybermen, they bust through the, the, mm. the, 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 the windows and the, mm. the fog is pouring out and they clamber out and mm. then they come out to the sides and they come down the ladders and the music's playing... And it, it's one of those things that I, 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 I've watched it, and I've watched it, and I've watched it. Yeah. And as a film student, I watch it, and I marvel that it exists. 
Mm. Because in my mind, that's something an editor would have gone back in later and gone, ah, we don't need this, it's atmospheric, but mm. yeah, we're going to cut and get to the, let's, let's get to the chase. And I love the fact that it's there mm. because it's something that it, it's so atmospheric and yeah, tremendous of a moment that this is happening. And I love the fact that it just happens and the director just let it unspool and let just mm. lets it happen. It's phenomenal. It, it is. It was, it was be- beautifully conceived, I must say. And I was very lucky to get the, the job of script editor on it. <clears throat> I'd already done a little bit of uh, editing. I'd been assistant script editor, uh, script editor on the uh, Ice Warrior. Which is another great one. Yeah. A friend of mine, Peter Barkworth, was, was in that with the walking stick, you know, mm-hmm. the cane, as you call it. And also I was around, of course I was around when, when I first met Debbie, when she first made her appearance in... Um, the evil of the Daleks. So uh, I did a, did a bit of preparatory work um, as a trainee script editor, really. But then I came into my own with that. And working with working with people like Kit Pedler and um, Jerry Davis was a, a learning curve for me because you know you had two supreme talents. You had um, Kit was the the scientist. And um, Jerry Davis was the dramatist. Now, I, as a script editor, I never believe anyway that um, the work should be tampered with too, too much. If you like something and you've accepted it, uh, accepted it under commission, then there is no need to rewrite it. Little alterations make sure that the continuity is there, but don't just rewrite it for the sake of uh, your own vanity and there was a lot of that that went on at that time and um, they taught me an awful lot because they they're two different concepts were merged into one and it was very exciting to work on very exciting and I I liked working with them Um, Kip Pedler was fairly uncommunicative he was quite a low key man and he didn't speak much but his work was wonderful yeah. so it's another one too it's impressive to me as a, as a science fiction fan yeah. to, to be able to go back and see I mean obviously the Cybermen have been a long standing part of Doctor Who probably yeah. second only to the Daleks in terms sure. of popularity and whatnot but when you, when you break it down the core idea of the Cybermen is this Replacing of worn out organic parts with these, That's right. you know, bionic limbs. It's, time, wasn't it? it's opioid. I mean, yeah. I, I have to go back and do some more research. But in my mind, I think it's the, probably the first televised cyborg. Yeah, you know, in the terms of science fiction, and yes. that's something that it just amazes me that um, what, what you guys did in the '60s mm. with this show is just. Yes, and I, I, I get a little riled up when I, I talk to new fans, mm. and I mean I'm great. We've got new fans, fantastic. Sure. New who fans, fantastic. But when they come along, and they go, oh, I can't watch the old ones because they're in black and white. No. And I just want to shake these people. What's wrong? With <laughs> That's you? weird. The stories, what matter? Yeah. The stories are phenomenal. I yeah. Mean, you know, the, the stories were good. I have said to countless generations over the years, I've said, think about the story first and the special effects afterwards. Because without the story, and without the writer, you have nothing. It's a lesson that I think has kind of been forgotten quite a bit in Hollywood today with I'm a lot of the so. blockbusters. 
and I'm encouraged that maybe they're figuring it out. They should, I, I, yeah. I, I see little signs that maybe I, I hope it's not just a flash in the pan that somebody had this nifty idea, but I, I, I think they're they're starting to figure it out. I hope so because I'm an addict. I'm a film actor, a movie addict, and always have been all my life, and that's why I have a great respect for Who fans because I was a fan, but I was a fan of movies in my, my own period, and I love them. What's your favorite movie? Favorite? I mean, you're not going to like it. Gone with, the, Gone with the Wind. That's a beautiful film. It's a I mean, it's really good. Well, it's, um, you know, I first saw that during the war. And it's never <laughs> left me. It's just, uh, do you know why I like it? It's because it contains all the elements of drama, everything you can think of. It has um, the drama of movement, the drama of spectacle, the drama of relationships, the drama of characterization, the drama, the color, of course, the music, of course, which sweeps you. Yeah, it does. And, and it's all so beautifully worked out. The performances are just magical, you know. So that's why. But having said that, coming right up to date, when I came over on the, on the plane from uh, Spain, I looked at a film which I thought was absolutely wonderful called True Story. True Story. With James Franco. Oh, James Franco. I haven't seen that one yet. It's Mark and Jonah Hill. And I thought, now, Hollywood, do more of this. <laughs> do more of this. The, the smaller scale films, I mean, it, in, in many ways, it's, uh, it could almost be a radio play because there are lots of um, duologues, you know, two, two people. But such good acting. And American film acting is some of the best you could ever, you could ever know. And I sat there entranced by it, and I, I told my people back home, get copies of it, you know. So that's what they should do. There's always a place for the big epics. Yeah. Always. But they should do more of these. Yeah. Because when they do them, they're totally good. And it reminds me of when I was young, because they used to do films like that, you know. But see it if you can. It's wonderful. Wonderful. I add that to my list. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get it. True story. But, um, anyway, as you can tell, the doctor has been a great influence on my life. It's bound all of us. On all of us. Mainly, I think, because none of us expected it to to turn out like this. Never knew if it would take off in, in the States. Because years ago, I just went out on BBS, didn't I? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I thought, well, it's too English. You know, but just recently it does seem to have taken off I actually think that there's more hope for better quality American movies and television with some of the stuff that HBO have done lately yeah. there's some very good stuff on it and um, I, I don't always manage to get it in Spain but when I do I, I mean Game of Thrones is extraordinary isn't it? now where are you at in Spain? Where do I live? Where, yeah. If yeah. you don't mind my asking. Do, I don't do, know, do, do you your, know your home address. But. <laughs> you know, um, I live halfway between Valencia and um, Alicante. A few weeks ago, I went on a tour of Spain. I thought, I'm living in Spain. I should know more about it. So on my own, I drove in my car, 4,500 kilometers. And I went around all the major cities... I had the great privilege of being on the other end of the stage from you yesterday at the oh, panel. Oh, right. So, oh, good. We thoroughly enjoyed that. Talk, talking to 
um, the lads, you know, Andrew and um, Nev, the writers. It's lovely. I always thought to myself, oh, God, it's going to be awful. There's going to be a rivalry between us. Not a bit of it. No. We were, they were so complimentary to me, and I was to them, because they're, they represent three generations. And it was lovely. And they're so nice, and we're all going to meet up again. Good. It's, it's wonderful that there's no rivalry, no rivalry. And after all, my generation was so different. I said to them, You know, um, writing in my time was very simplistic, very straightforward, but the stories were good. Stories were good, and, um, and they agreed. But um, it's the first opportunity I've had to meet and talk with writers for a long time, and I. I appreciate that. When we get together, we we discover new things. You know, each each every writer has their own way of of um, of working, their own way of discovering things, and so on. So it was a, a wonderful experience for me. Do you have any advice for the listeners as to what to watch as far as episodes or of of, of Doctor Who? <laughs> well, I, or well, you know. But you see, I don't watch Doctor Who very much now. It's not my... It's not quite my... As I said to you earlier, the Doctor was a, uh, an old man in my time. Or he was a, a grandfather figure or a, an uncle figure, an old uncle figure. So I don't really... Um, don't really care for the young Doctor Who. But that, you know, that's me. I'm an old fogey. You should try Peter Capaldi. I'd be interested to get your Oh, no, he, he's, he's the first one I thought, what good casting. <laughs> I really do, because, A, he's a fine actor. He's magnificent. Yeah. He is. He's done a lot of Shakespeare and the classics, and, all, and he's, a, he's got a good background, and he's very good. But um, I haven't gone for the, the younger set. That's because I'm an old fogey. <laughs> is there anything else you want to I, I could bend your ear all day, but I think we'll let you get back to your thing. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us. My Greatly pleasure. appreciated. I am Lars Pearson. I am publisher and editor-in-chief of Mad Norwegian Press, which is a uh, maker of science fiction books in Des Moines, Iowa. And we mainly do um, guidebooks to television shows. Uh, my particular expertise is Doctor Who. Uh, we do such books as About Time, which is a multi-volume series that puts every Doctor Who story uh, in the social and political um, uh, real-world considerations which was made and tracks the production of television along the way. Because, you know, to, to truly, I think, appreciate Doctor Who, you have to stop and think, what was the world like in 1964 versus 1972 versus 1985 and so on and so forth. So that, that's what we do. Uh, we have seven volumes of that out and volume eight is being worked on. And uh, we also do Running Through Corridors, which is Rob Shearman and Toby Haydock's grand sweeping rewatch of Doctor <laughs> Who. Um, and, you know, they, they do it. They, they try to always emphasize the positive. And that's really so great because as fans, we can get very critical. And Rob uh, being a writer and Toby being a stage performer, um, they have such an interesting perspective on how the show is made, always through the lens of how great they think it is. Um, we do uh, we did the Chicks Dig Time Lords series, which won a Hugo Award, for which we're extremely grateful. Um, and the latest of those was out called Companion Piece. Um, we do Space Helmet for a Cow which is the uh, mad true story of Doctor Who, or the behind-the-scenes story of Doctor Who all in one go. 
And then with Lance Parkin, I co-write uh, A History, which is the seminal timeline of Doctor Who that puts every Doctor Who story on a single timeline from the beginning of time to the end of time with copious amounts of footnotes, and it's now about 150,000 words bigger than War and Peace. So, um, <laughs> yes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's vaguely terrifying just how much more Doctor Who we have, because when Lance did the first version of A History with uh, Virgin back in 1996... He didn't include the comics, but all he included was, you know, there was 159 episodes of the TV, or stories from the TV show, plus 50 novels. So the first version of a history included, like, 200 stories-ish. Now, we produce that, like, every two years. I mean, the books, the audios, the comics, the everything. Now, the last digital two-year update for a history we did, that had something like 225 stories in it. So Doctor Who's gotten truly berserk. Um... So if we if we do get around to doing a fourth edition, at that point it will probably include two thousand stories. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I've probably written or edited um, thirty um, books on Doctor Who. Uh, I also came from the field of journalism and comic books. So I, I used to work for Wizard Magazine, which was basically the Rolling Stone of comic books um, of its day. But I. I, I left the well. Once I'd left them, of course, there was no point in their staying in business, and they just they <laughs> yeah. just they just went under entirely. Uh, no, they um, they they struggled on. They they were a great company to work for. I really enjoyed working for them, um, but they didn't didn't seem to survive the jump to the digital age. So so now they're a convention company. Uh, let's let's go back to the volumes of mm-hmm. the books mm-hmm. about time. How do you go about putting those together and getting the mindset of this is what was the, what was happening at the time. At the same time, <clears throat> yeah, I am fortunate enough to work with mad people, um, and I <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way. So Tat Wood, well, it started out with Tat Wood and Lawrence Miles um, were co-writing them. Tat Wood is the sort of person who can remember the favorite sport of a B-level British politician from like 1971. I, I mean, he is this tremendous eclectic slush pile of knowledge and I you know I say it in the most most flattering of ways um, so tat is just I don't know he just oozes culture from every pore um, so you know and, and you know sometimes you can you can mark the direct a to B um, in the influences in Doctor Who like you look at the keys of Marinus which is story number five there's a scene and I in the later episodes where someone is um, escorted along a corridor and then very visibly shot and killed. And that is a direct A to B from the murder of Jack Ruby, which, you know, who was, you know, the assassin who killed, um, uh, or sorry, he shot Lee Harvey, sorry, it was the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald, that's what I'm trying to say. The public murder of Lee Harvey Oswald by Jack Ruby. Um... So you can see the direct A to B. And sometimes the influences are are more subtle. Sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily the Doctor Who was drawing in an A to B. It was, it was drawing on, you know, uh, an aesthetic that was around at the time. Like, you look at a story like, like The Mutants, and it resonates with another property called Solaris. Now, did the people who make The Mutants blatantly rip off Solaris? Well, no, not necessarily, but it, it goes to um, the, the design and the... Um, Sensitivities of the people who were around at the time. So, and, and then you you have to track the production of television because, of course, when Doctor Who starts out, it's uh, it was never filmed live, but it was filmed 
as live. I mean, they basically their their editing abilities were very primitive. Uh, they were they were going out weekly. Um, they were making this show with the expectation it was going to be seen one time and never watched again. And then, of course, television gets more sophisticated as it goes along. I mean, what they're able to do with Doctor Who today, the production team in the, in the '60s would have stormed a beach over because it's just it's truly incredible. But it was a it was a very studio bound show, and they did a great job with it. So it helps me. I, what what pains me. Sometimes people will look at uh, an old story and they'll think it's crap. And the question is, well, is it genuinely crap or is it just that it had the indecency to be made in 1968? Yeah. Um, I mean, let's face it, some of it genu- you know, is crap and you can prove that with graphs. And, <laughs> but sometimes it's just, no, for what they could do at the time, this is actually very well written, it's very well uh, acted, it's very well made, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just old. Um, I worry that with each generation that goes on, except for television historians, we'll just look at old stuff and we'll just like, well, this is old. And we just don't have any... We'll, the more we go on, we'll start to lose comprehension as to what television was like in the 60s and be able to process it that way. That's an interesting point. There's yeah. There's a lot of shows that, you know, some of your favorites <coughs> that, you know, are kitsch. Yeah. You look at the 60s Batman or the, you know, things of that nature and it's like, no, it's not. It's just that it's a product of its time. It's, it's absolutely a product of its time. Well, it's funny how, um, so, it's funny newcomers who start to watch classic Doctor Who, and I encountered one of them recently, and I was like, well, how did you like classic Doctor Who? And she says, oh, oh, she says, I, I had to stop watching. It was, it was too misogynist. Um, now, I, well, the th- yeah, well, the thing is, I don't think it is misogynist. I think that's, I think that, it, but you do, un- I can understand the viewpoint of someone watching it from today. The gender issues are different. Many, in the 60s, some of the companions are genuinely girls. Um, like, you know, for all their fantastical knowledge or, or talents, Susan, Vicky, Dodo, Victoria, they are girls. And so if you're, you know, you're in the audience, you know, it, it, you can feel like the men get to go out and do all the cool things. Um, and and the women don't now balanced against that. Of course, a lot of female um, characters Doctor Who are extremely strong. You know, you got Barbara and Leela and Romana and, and Sarah Jane and all the rest. But but I, I can see how someone sitting there watching it, you know, without any context, can think, oh, this is this is just the female characters are treated too shabbily. I'm not going to be watching this. Um, if you have a better appreciation of the time, then it can start. And I I keep saying, well, yes, it depends which story you watch. You can find a story where basically Barbara is basically standing around doing nothing and think, oh, the women get short trip. But then there's going to be other stories where Ian is standing around doing basically nothing. So it sometimes balances out. But I understand the concerns. But yeah, um, I think I think it's I think it's that jump is becoming increasingly difficult for people to make. Is that something um, not just within the, the time, but within some of the other lines of books? Obviously, you've got like Chick Stick Time Lords. And yeah. Things that, has there been a kind of a concentrated effort to try and maybe broaden the spectrum just a little bit on the perception of it? That was basically the whole effort behind Chicks was because what happened was um, there were a lot of women in fandom in uh, when the show was on in the 80s. And then during the wilderness years... There, there definitely was a decline in the numbers. I mean, if, if you the conventions got very bloke heavy, um, and so when the new show came back, suddenly all the women were a lot of women were there again, and so we wanted to give them to kind of amplify their voice. We want through Chicks Dig Time Lords. We wanted to um, give them the opportunity to offer their perspectives, um, and as you say, concentrate together in one book. Um, the last five years, we certainly haven't, uh, within the creative sphere, 
we haven't approached gender parity. But you are finding more female writers. You're finding more female artists. You're finding so I think that's good. With every year that goes by, you hope that we more and more like Marvel Comics is doing a great job promoting their female characters. Um, so you hope with every year that goes by, the need for that voice to get out there won't be as urgent because women will have been part of the process from the start. I mean, they'll they'll just they'll just be you know, participating in the DNA of the creative sphere. I mean, it, but it, it takes time. I mean, you, you look at the number of Hollywood producers who are women, and it's it's shocking. I, I mean, the men just out... We need we need we just need more women making the product is what we need. So, yeah, but it's... It, I, I feel it's, it's gotten better over the last five years than when we started Chicks. How do, how do you go about getting those essays in Chicks and any of the other ones? Do you, do you put a call out and you say... Submit your essay and we'll consider it. How do you go about that? Um, no, we don't. We don't do an open cattle call, if you will. Um, uh, well, you know, writer essay books are hard because writers are like cats, and and with essay books, you basically have like twenty five to thirty cats you have to organize and you have to make sure that they're not being overly redundant with one another Um, because you know the writers are just independently doing their best work but so if they're completely duplicating another writer they don't know but you the editor you know Um, so you have to get a lot of different viewpoints have a lot of different variety Um, and no it's it's going around and finding a mixture of pros who bring some name power to the process and then you know some um, semi-pros who are quite talented but don't really have that professional cachet yet. Um, we were extraordinarily fortunate in uh, Chicks Unravel Time to have uh, Diana Gabaldon, um, who created the Outlander series. Because and she makes no bones about the fact Outlander is uh, based on Jamie McCrimmon. I, I mean, as much as anything, Outlander is kind of her extraordinarily best-selling fan fiction of Jamie McCrimmon, which is why Fraser Hines... Um, did a piece in one of the recent Outlander episodes. Um, so yeah, I you know you you, you go around to the to the high tier people and hope that because of the nature of the topic, they will they will give you an essay. I mean, I'm sure Diana Gabaldon has a full plate, um, but we were extraordinarily fortunate that she contributed. So so it's a mixture it's a mixture of that. You you get the high the the pro level people. You fill out the ranks with the semi um, known people. And make sure that it's it's. Funnily enough, by the way, I you know, I don't actually like essay books as a breed, because um, when, when we when we came to do Chicks Dig Time Lords, I said, well, the problem I have with essay books is that quality control gets very difficult. Um, in any given essay book, a third of the essays are pretty great, a third of them are pretty terrible, and a third of them are pretty you know average, which means that the overall quality of the book is pretty lousy. So if we do this, I want the, not every single essay is going to be an A, that's impossible, but the overall quality has got to be pretty high. And it's got to tell us something we don't know. I said there's nothing more, the example I keep coming back to is this years and years ago in an essay book, this Star Wars essay that had the title something like Boba Fett, Rogue Bounty Hunter. And then the essay proceeded in great detail to explain how Boba Fett is a rogue bounty hunter. <laughs> and I just said, for God's sakes, tell me something we do not know. Um, so that's, that's, that's what I ultimately hope is achieved for our essay books, is that you're reading them, and at least, you know, again, not every single essay, but at several points, you'll be sitting there going, oh, good God, I hadn't thought about that, or good God, that gives me a... 
deeper appreciation of that person's point of view. Um, that's the goal. And then, of course, we did a, <clears throat> an offshoot of that uh, called Queers Dig Time Lords, which is basically the same thing. It was Doctor Who with the lens of all things non-hetero, at which... Of course I'm biased, because of course I'm making these books, but, oh, God, the, the, the quality of the essays in Queer Stick Time Lords was fantastic. And John Barrowman gave us an introduction, or John Barrowman and his sister, Carol, gave us an introduction for which we were deeply appreciative. So, um, yeah, that's always a go. I have a very low boredom threshold, so I'm always like, tell me something I don't know. Tell me, no, seriously, tell me something I don't know. And through these books, I hope that's what we've accomplished. What's up next for, uh, for Man Norwegian? What do you have in the uh, pipeline? You know, it's kind of, it's, in some measure it's more the same, but um, I'm waiting for Running Through Corridors 2 to come in, Space Helmet for a Cow 2, um, About Time 8, um, and I'm hoping to get those manuscripts very soon. In the interim, I, you know, because of course this is what I do, if I've got a short span of time, I feel like, well, I might as well write a book in the interim. Um, so I'm... I'm, I'm working on a Doctor Who 101 project because I have now given dozens of Doctor Who panels at conventions on where do I start with the classic series? Where do I start with the new series? Where do I start with Big Finish? And at a certain point I thought, you know, I might as well stop, drop, and just commit this, take like 10 weeks or whatever, commit this to paper. And that way when, you know, people ask, that way I can go, and for more information you should buy. Um, It's, it's, it's so gratifying with the new series that it's lasted long enough to keep generating new generations of fans. And, I mean, it is sobering to think that it won't be that much longer that people born when Christopher Eccleston debuted as the Doctor will soon be going to high school. And so there's always a continual refreshing of the audience and uh, a need... You know, you reach the point where you think, oh, everybody knows what a Dalek is. Everybody knows what this is. Everybody knows... And they really don't. You don't know what things are until you're actually told. Or Doctor Who having a 50-year legacy, you can just, if you're not careful, completely drown in the amount of information that's out there. So, um... So yeah, I'm doing Doctor Who 101, and those books are coming in, and I feel like I'm forgetting about some. We have actually, at any given time, about eight books um, in process. I just don't always talk about them, because I've learned to try to only talk about things when I actually have it in hand, and there's a release date, and it's up for pre-order <laughs> on Amazon. Uh, with, with the series I just mentioned, well, you know, those are in progress, but for the mo- if it's, especially if it's something new, I'm just n- not going to talk about it until... The, the product page goes up on Amazon. You can you can order it. So. It'll be interesting to read that and then go back with how we introduced Keith to Doctor Who and see where we went wrong. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That yeah. would that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, you guys cover several different genres. But do you ever like on specific genres? Do you ever consider you know a Doctor Who obviously very popular right now? So it's a wealth of you know uh, information and things that you guys can focus on and publish around. And yeah. Not, do you ever worry about when we hit another? Point where we go into another wilderness years period where maybe it kind of subsides again or, or the, the fandom's just not there anymore. Do you ever worry about that concern or is it because you kind of have enough <clears throat> cards on the table that you can kind of go different directions? I, we're, I mean, we, you do diversify as much as possible, which is, again, we did we did some chick, Chicks books on things. That we did Chicks Dig comics. We did Weedonistas. Um, you know, we you diversify as much as you can with... Another wilderness years situation. Well, first of all, we did fine during the wilderness years. I mean, um, if anything, the advent of the new show, for which I'm eternally grateful, is what killed our novel line, Faction Paradox, because right. we've been doing. Cause, so we had this spin off series, Faction Paradox, which is spun out of the novels. And um, 
we were doing pretty well on it. And then the new series came around, and it actually uh, made our sales drop because um, what I came to realize is the, so the, the Christmas Invasion, when they put out the promotional photos for that, I realized there were more people debating the merits of Rose's jacket than were interested or, or could be interested in our new Faction Paradox book. Um, so if, if, if we, one, if we had a wilderness year situation, we'd just adjust accordingly. But frankly, I don't worry about it. And the reason I don't worry about it is because the new series is so successful that another wilderness year situation, you know, I presume it's all going to happen before we, we, we shuffle off this mortal coil, but it's so far away. I mean, I th- what, didn't Stephen Moffat recently say something like the, that the uh, that Doctor Who has a global audience of seventy seven million people, and and you know it's it's this and and Doctor Who series eight was BBC Worldwide's number one selling show, um, and I know that the BBC has more concerns than just you know commercial concerns, but but it is so enormous and so huge and so popular and so beloved. The day might come that they cancel it. But it is it is so far off because think about it. If they cancel Doctor Who right now, what could they possibly replace it with? What has the reach, the popularity, the audiences, and the merchandise machine that Doctor Who has? The BBC doesn't have. They're not Marvel Studios. They don't have anything to replace it with. Um, so yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that day will come. But I I can't see it. I, or, or again, it's so far so far down the horizon. I it's. It's well, not, I think in that in that same sense that you said that uh, Faction Paradox was popular at the time, and then the, the new show kind of killed that. Yeah. But I think because of that, you guys were feeling the need because there were people in the wilderness oh, yeah. that were looking for Absolutely. those other avenues. Absolutely. So I think in turn that could happen again for you guys uh, yeah. if you would still be there to kind of carry on. She wants yeah. to join oh, our I, conversation. Oh, I see. And Faction, Par- we're, Faction Paradox is still around, um, but you know, and 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 that's great. And like right now, it's with a publisher named Obverse, and we we. we they seem to be doing very well with it. But yes, it, it really took off because people didn't have Doctor Who to as much occupy their headspace. And so when we gave them something that was Doctor Who related, and which I think was very good, then they really went for that. So yeah, we, we just adjust accordingly. So, you know, the Wilderness Times creatively for Doctor Who was actually a very, um, a great time. I mean, you had the new adventures, you had the audios, you had... It, it, it was there was some great stuff being done it's no substitute for the new series I mean absolutely positively I'm thrilled to have the new series back so yeah we, we just adjust accordingly and, and again we diversify as everything I don't put all my eggs in the Doctor Who basket but it's a good basket to have it's, 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 a, it's a trans-dimensional basket yeah so it's alright you know and where can our listeners find the books at? Uh, you know, we, we do have a website, madnorwegian.com, for information about them. We don't sell direct. Uh, you can find them basically anywhere. You can find them on Amazon, Amazon UK. If you're in the United Kingdom, uh, we sell through Forbidden Planet. And really, any uh, mainstream retailer. Uh, you know, our, our distributor hits Baker and & Taylor and Ingram, and through them, all the major bookstore chains. Whether or not we're on the shelf depends on what the uh, store manager had for lunch that day. <laughs> store managers have an awful lot of power, which is fine. Um, so, you know, if you walk into any given Barnes & Noble, we may or may not be on the shelf. Um, but certainly you can order us through them. So so basically, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but yes, wherever books are sold, um, we, we, we can be found. Or again, Amazon is just easier out to go. And uh, about two-thirds of our catalog is um, for sale as e-books as well. The, the history ebook was 
something of a it's it's I think it's brilliantly useful. But boy, that took like 125 hours to code. I mean, that was that was nightmarish. I love these people who say, uh, "Oh, well, eBooks are so easy to do." Um, it's like, yeah, if you want them done badly, then then I guess that's fine. So yeah, so uh, madweeja.com for information, uh, or we're on sale anywhere books books are sold. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thank well, you thank, so th- thank you guys for having sure. me. I appreciate that. Peter Purvis. I was a companion to the first Doctor, 46 episodes of Doctor Who in 1965 and 1966. And I'm here still talking about it? Wow, what's that about? Yeah. Now, you've had a, a, a very long career. Um, in, in, in British television. Well, I'm very old. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. But uh, obviously, you know, you, you started off on Doctor Who, at least for where you kind of hit the radar for us. What, yeah, well, no, that, well, no, that was it was my first uh, serious major work, I suppose, because uh, I'd, I'd played the lead in a couple of television plays before that, and I'd been an actor for... Well, I started in 1957 as an actor, and I joined Doctor Who in 1965. So I got eight years' experience as an actor before... I worked in what you would probably call it the equivalent of summer stock, but it was all year round. It was called weekly rep. Oh, okay. And in, in a, a repertory company was a, a group of actors, director, designer, and that's about it. And we did a different play every week. So you started rehearsal on Tuesday, worked the way through till Saturday, and on the Monday the play opened. Then on the Tuesday you started again doing another one. So it just kept on, it rolled. Uh, sometimes we'd bring in extractors to uh, uh, make the cast slightly bigger. Uh, we could do bigger plays if we could get other actors in, but there was no money. I mean, I was paid an absolute, well, nothing. I mean, it was, it was very, very little money. And I did that for two years. Uh, but it was great experience because I didn't go to drama school. And... Uh, Probably the best way to learn without going to drama school is to just get up and do the job. And you attack it, you're bound to make mistakes, but you learn from the mistakes and you don't do them again. And you gradually get better and better and you spread your repertoire of abilities in the theatre. And, uh, yeah, I did all that. Then I went to London. I... uh, uh, my first job was touring with a, a, a rep theatre company and toured for five or six weeks in an Agatha Christie play, Witness for the Prosecution, it was called. And I toured in that for five or six weeks, uh, a week in each place we went to. And then I did one more play, and then I auditioned and got a part as in the chorus, singing chorus, in a big show at the London Palladium. And uh, which I think probably is a theatre that most people have heard of. Heard of that one, yes. And uh, it was, uh, you know, this was a show that actually was supposed to run for a year, ran for three months because it was so bloody awful. Um, it, was, it was a dreadful show. It was called Man in the Moon. It starred a, an English comic called uh, Charlie Drake, who I have to say was dreadful. He um, wasn't funny. Um, and even when he was funny, I didn't find him very funny, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And uh, anyway, that, so I did that came out of that and started trying to get television work uh, I worked as a, a as a dresser for the um, uh, for the chorus in another show in London whilst I was waiting for work I didn't uh, didn't have anything to do so I used to go in in the evening and sort their clothes out so that uh, the show ran smoothly um, and then I got a, a telly part and then I got another telly part and another one and I probably did about oh, I don't know ten 
fairly well-known and regular series, uh, small parts, you know. Uh, then I played uh, the leading guest part in something called Dixon of Doc Green, which was uh, the original cop series in, uh, in British television. Um, very old-fashioned. I starred a, a very good film actor of the time called Jack Warner, and I played the lead in that. And then I got the lead in a major play for television. Not a classic. I've never wanted to be a classical actor particularly. And uh, it was called The Girl in the Picture. And I had the lead in that with a young actress called Nicola Padgett, who you may know in the States if you ever saw a show called Upstairs, Downstairs, the original one, which I think did come to, to, to America. And it was a, 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 the first leading role, real leading role, for either of us. And uh, it was it was reasonably successful. People liked it. We got nice reviews for it. I played the lead in one other series called The Villains. Uh, just one episode of that, with one of the two leading parts in that. Uh, and then Doctor Who came along. In the meantime, I tried to uh, I tried to play a part in Doctor Who. Went to see the director called Richard Martin. Uh, to play in the, I think it was called, it was the Web Planet or something. It was called. It's the one anyway that had giant, um, uh, giant insects and butterflies. And I was going to play one of those. No words to say. And the night before I went to see Richard to, to audition for one of those parts, which I'd been asked to go for because I moved because I was in the chorus at the Palladium earlier, so I must be able to move. I couldn't. I was a terrible dancer. Uh, but because I'd been in the chorus, they thought I could dance. Um, and I went in to see him, but the previous night, they'd shown my episode, uh, my uh, uh, play, that, where I played the lead with Nicola Padgett, the girl in the picture. And I walked in, and the first thing Richard said after greeting me, he said, look, I'm not going to give you one of these parts. He said, I saw your play last night, and you were really very, very good in it. And there's, this part's, you're, you're better than that. There's nothing for you to act in. And he said, I promise that when I'm doing something worthwhile with a decent acting part, I will think of you. Well, I took that as a pinch of salt because, you, you know, it's, it's what directors say to actors right. when they'd like them to go out the door and never be seen again so I left feeling rather depressed I was broke, had no money so you know, that was a job I didn't get and I was you know, fine but he was as good as his word and he, that's how he cast me as Morton Dill just rang up and invited me to play this character this, I, don't, I don't care whether it was any good or not as, a, as a, an Alabama accent but uh, he was a hillbilly from Alabama who was visiting New York and um, I had a comedy scene for about ten minutes with, first of all, the TARDIS and his, the Doctor and his companions, uh, which then went away, and another time machine arrived, and out came the Daleks, and I had another scene with them. Um, the only person probably to get away with uh, taking a rise out of the Daleks and not being exterminated. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the recording of that... I was invited to go over to the, the, we called it Studio 3, it was across the road from uh, the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith in London, which is where we did the show, and uh, Verity Lambert and Dennis Spooner, the uh, producer and story editor of, the, of Doctor Who, said, I don't know if you know, but Russ and Jackie, that was William Russell and Jackie Hill, uh, are leaving in three weeks, and we wondered if you'd like to replace them. And the rest, as they say, was history. <laughs> Dale, I've given you a potted history of mine. It's a, it's, a, it's an amazing debut, as you pointed out, for, for this kind of one-off character to have a scene with the TARDIS 
and then turn around and have a scene with Daleks. There aren't many actors that get to pull that one out of the, out of well, the hat right I, off the bat. But so. it, it never occurred to me that it was uh, there was anything unusual. It's just going in to play a part, you know. And, and you go in with the, the naivety of, uh, of uh, a young man who, who just, you just go for it, just do it. It's, it's like I said, you know, you make mistakes when you're in rep and all the rest, and you get a chance then to improve and get better. That's how you learn. Well, I just went in and played a guy from Alabama. How I thought a guy from Alabama who's rather gauche and naive might behave if something like a TARDIS arrived <laughs> whilst I'm visiting the, the Empire State Building in New York. Uh, I think it works quite well. I find it funny when I, when I see yeah. it now. I'm, I'm not embarrassed by it, and... I'm not one of these actors who say, oh, I never watch myself. No, it's rubbish. You have to. If you don't watch yourself, you'll never learn. You'll never get any better at anything you do. So I always watch whatever I can. The sad thing about when I, I, I did Doctor Who on a regular basis, when I played Stephen, was that I could rarely see the show. You couldn't record it because we didn't have domestic video recorders. So... There was no way of seeing it if you were out. If you were, you might be doing another. You, you know, you might be doing uh, opening a, a, a fate or something like that, a gala somewhere uh, on a Saturday. You didn't see the show. It was a Saturday night. Often, it was when you went out anyway, and so I didn't see an awful lot of the episodes I did do. I mean, the, the saddest thing for me is I don't think I saw a single episode of the massacre which is my favourite one of all, because I, I remember it being good at the time, and I, I know from the audio that it was very good. It's, it was a good production. It's beautifully directed by Paddy Russell. But I've never seen it, and nothing exists, and I never will see it. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. That, you know, even with the, the theories that abound, that maybe they're still out there somewhere, which I, I personally want to believe. Well, so, so do I, but, uh, you know, pigs might fly. Um. Money aside, which do you prefer? Do you prefer stage acting or do you prefer television? Uh, I think now, for example, I'd be pretty scared about doing a stage play. My memory's not as good as it was. I can remember a lot of things from the past, you know, the, the old stories that I can tell. Um, I remember things quite well like that, but I'm not sure how well I would remember a script. Or if I had a leading part in something, I think I might, might struggle now. I don't know. Uh, television now is so much easier. It's not, not a difficult medium to act in. In fact, you know, lots of non-actors get away with murder uh, on television. It's easy. Um, you can do it again and again. Uh, you know, if you get it wrong the first time, you do it again. You do. It. I've only worked in live television for most of my career. Uh, you don't do it again. You do things in one take. If it's, it's got to be, that's how it is. Um, when I followed Doctor Who with uh, with the show, which in the, doesn't get seen here in the states, but many people have heard of it. It was a children's program called Blue Peter. And to explain the title, everyone says, what's, what's the title of that? Um, if, you, if you see a merchant ship about to sail from harbour, I think 12 hours before it sails, it flies a flag, which is called a blue pizza. And it's a white square on a blue background. And that means we're about to sail. And we're off on a voyage. And the title was devised because this was a voyage of discovery for kids. It was a children's entertaining but educational show. It wasn't meant to be educational first, it was meant to be entertaining. But it was a magazine program, could go anywhere, and that's why it had the title Blue Peter, which I thought was it's a very nice title. And that's something you did that for nearly ten and a half years. years. Yeah. Ten and a half years. Yeah, I took the job for six months 
and uh, I, uh, I stayed for ten and a half years. It was it was a good job. You're very well <laughs> known for that in, in England, and you're right. It doesn't something that you're a fan. This is Glenn. Glenn's another Hi. member of our podcast. Hi. Good to see you, Glenn. Um, you've seen some some blue Peter. Yeah, just Far clips. more than I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've probably seen the Doctor Who clips. Yeah, most, most of them are <laughs> yeah, the extras yeah, on the Yes, TV. I think they are, yes. It's, uh, yeah, it's a strange, uh, yeah, strange thing. But, uh, it's strange that the two of them kind of, that, that they have that symbiosis in a way that, that well, so many that, of the Doctor Because I'd been in it, it was a perfectly reasonable thing. But, of course, Doctor Who being a BBC program, if there's something that was interesting about it, well, it makes a very good item for the kids. It's children's program. Doctor Who is a children's program. So why wouldn't it? Sure. You know, why wouldn't we do it? I mean, I did stuff with John Pert. We, we, we had the Who-mobile in the studio. Uh, I know we did something where we, we did all... Uh, 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 we, we sort of made a theatre, I think, uh, uh, and did a Doctor Who play within that theatre, like, you know, puppet theatre. It, was, it wasn't puppets, they were cutouts and, and that sort of thing. Uh, there was something else we did. In fact, I think on one occasion we did Blue Peter in the Doctor Who set because there'd been a, a, a strike by the, the scene shifters at the BBC or, or the electric... I mean, for some reason we couldn't have our normal studio and we did part of the show from a Doctor Who set. So, I mean, the... the, the, the we did overlap from time to time, and I don't think we were the only ones. I think Doctor Who kept on cropping up on, on Blue Peter at some time or other. There were only about three times with me. Yeah. It's fun now that there, there's that weird symbiosis that Doctor Who became such a big cultural icon, and especially in England, the Blue Peter with the kids became such a big thing. Yeah. And that so many of the episodes that wound up disappearing and, and getting lost, that whatever tiny little segments still exist exist because of Blue Peter, so it's, it's, there's a strange symbiosis in that regard. Yes, I, I, I suppose so. I mean, I, I understand that uh, I think one episode of Doctor Who was returned from Blue Peter and it had been wiped. I mean, I, I, I don't know how true that is, but I have heard it's that. It's the... Uh, uh, William Hartnell's regeneration scene, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, the that, actual that doesn't regeneration yeah. does not exist except for the clip. The, the clip where, has. yes, yes, yeah. So I think I think probably what happened was that was lifted from the original for playing into our program because we would only have the segment that we needed. And I think there were other segments with the Daleks at some time because a Dalek went missing, and I think we had a clip which from Doctor Who showing the Daleks in action and then the one was stolen and we did a whole feature about that. It was found in a, the back alley near some old lock-up garages uh, uh, behind a block of flats somewhere in Shepherd's Bush. I don't know what people thought they'd do by nicking it, but anyway, that's what happened. Things get stolen at the BBC. That, I mean, it's, it's quite a big thing to steal, isn't it, a Dalek? But they, they had worse people came up and took pianos you know grand oh, pianos really? disappeared you know how did you get that I mean how, do, do me you a favor with a piano <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you have um, and I, I do not mean this in any way as a backhanded compliment so there were, as a fan growing up when I went back because I, I started with Tom Baker he was the one that was available here in the yeah, States yeah, when yeah. I was growing yeah, up yeah. so as I've gone back and watched Doctor Who uh, it's been very kind of sporadic in how I can get my hands on yes. it yes and I saw a lot of the early William Hartnell with with um, Ian and Barbara and Susan. And then there wasn't, it was kind of a gap before I got to anything else. And as I've gone back and started, you kind of have a, a, a distinction of being a lost companion for me, just that I didn't know anything about Stephen. Yes. I mean, I, I get the book and I know that Stephen's in there, but I didn't know anything about him. So as we've done this podcast and I've come to these Stephen episodes, 
I have just had my whole mind open. Yes. Stephen is a phenomenal character. Oh, he, bless he's you. a Thank lot you of fun much. to watch. Well, that's my kind. And, uh, and I thoroughly enjoy it anytime we put one on the schedule. It's like, oh, Stephen's in this one, and I get very excited just because it's, you know, well, not something that's that. That's nice. Thank you. I, yes. I, I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. Well, no, that's very kind. But I mean, I like playing him. And I mean, it, it was a job. So, of course, I'm going <laughs> to like it, you know. But, I mean, I did like playing. I mean, I liked the character. I liked him. I thought he had, you know, he, he, had, uh, he had some good values and he was argumentative with the Doctor and there were all sorts of... That's why, of course, when I, I, I did Galaxy 4, which was the second serial of which, of course, only one episode exists, uh, when that script arrived... Stephen's character did not appear. I mean, Stephen was in it. There was his name. Stephen says so and says it, but he didn't do the things or say the things that Stephen would say, because it wasn't written for Stephen. It was written for Jackie Hill, yeah. and but they couldn't change the story because it was a, that was the story that had to be shot. That was, the time scale and everything else meant that. So I had to play this character who really wasn't Stephen for four episodes, and that really that annoyed me immensely. I didn't. I wasn't pleased with that. Um, but I guess I did it okay. I, I, I've seen the one episode that was found. I mean, we, we had a launch of it down in Cardiff in, uh, in Wales. And uh, I saw it, and it's, it's got all the mistakes and errors that you, you have in, in the original series of Doctor Who, you know, wobbly sets and all sorts of things, and things that were a bit incongruous, and Bill doing an occasional fluff and all that sort of thing. And my performance was okay, but it wasn't an, an heroic part, which I had been led to believe Stephen was going to be that kind of character. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing for me about... I mean, Doctor Who keeps on reinventing things that have already been invented, if you like. Because I've always said Stephen was really Captain Jack back then. Yeah, you know? he really was. You, that's the same, there were similar elements in that, but they didn't give me a spin-off. <laughs> <laughs> we should work on that. We should, we should. <laughs> Bit too old for me to play. Is there, um, with... The missing episodes. Whenever there's an announcement made that we found something, is there a part of you that kind of? Of course, you know. I keep on hoping it's the massacre or the mythmakers, or even the savages for that matter. I mean, the savages. I'd, I'd like to see because I really have. I've, the only recollection I have of it is what I got from the audio. And to be honest, so long ago since I did those, I think that I did them back in. 1990-something, or maybe just, yeah, not, no, just in, in 2002, something like that. I've, re- I've forgotten it again now. I'd have to revisit it, listen to it again to know exactly what happens. It's, it's, the memory's not holding up on that at all. So I'd quite like to see that. But also, because I di- I, what I do remember about it was that I absolutely adored the director. It was Christopher Barry, who was just terrific. What a lovely man, beautiful. It, later on in my life, when I, I had a, my own video production company, and we did corporate videos and things, I used Chris a couple of times to, to direct stuff for me. In fact, I used two of the Doctor Who directors. I used Eric Martinus as well. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I have some nice memories and uh, and uh, all that. And Stephen, I'm, I'm fond of Stephen. I'm looking forward to the day when more people can have the revelations that I've had uh, <laughs> that, that, that these characters are out there. I mean, again, we, we've got new Who fans, and it's fantastic that they're coming to the program, and I hope that they're going to come and as I have, and, and kind of find some of these hidden gems sure, that are, that are sure, just about. Sure. I would be remiss if we did not mention Glenn's favorite episode. 
And what is Glenn's favourite? Oh, that's well, why not? For a long time, I didn't like it. For 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 the reason, I, I guess that I I didn't think Rex Tucker had any time for me. I I don't think he liked me. I don't think he liked Jackie. I don't think he liked Bill. He had, of course, history with the show because he was passed over for being the producer of it he was one of the senior directors at the BBC and he was passed over as producer so he didn't get probably what he wanted from that right at the very beginning um, and I think he felt also it was a bit of a come down for the senior director to be uh, there having to direct a children's serial I, th- I think there was a bit of that as well um, consequently he didn't give me any time I was never very happy with uh, the song that I had to sing, not for any reason. I was a singer. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have no no track with that. But it was it wasn't in a key that I liked, which made it difficult to sing it properly. I could have done better if it had been in a different key. Um, what I did enjoy, and where I guess it was probably good that Rex didn't interfere, all the little elements of comedy that are in there which are mine, which are just looks you know, people, double takes uh, tripping over my spurs, dropping the gun all sorts of, you know, just little things I just put those in, really expecting them to, him to say no, we don't do that, Peter, or when you do that do it differently, nothing no direction, no nothing, so I just carried on doing those sort of things and I think the scene in the I think it's called Don't Shoot the Pianist, isn't it the, <laughs> um, the episode I mean, that is, I think it's funny is, I think it's funny. It has it, a charm to it. It's yes. sort of a, a it's, it's like we're not taking ourselves too serious, but we're not doing absolute comedy here either. Yes. And I think that's what I what is appealing about that. Yeah. And you do, you, you pull it off, you have these little moments that are just you it, it looks like you're just really having fun with the part, but also taking it serious as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I mean the the good thing about the gunfighters is that it's a very clever way that we are integrated into the plot. You know, it's the, the mistaken identity of the doctor is a cracking idea. That really works ever so well. I mean, when he comes into the bar, uh, uh, the saloon, and he doesn't know that the Clansons think that he's Doc Holliday, he announced himself as the doctor. You know, I mean, they're ready to kill him. They get their guns out. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's fun. I think a lot of people also pick apart the, the, the fact that it's, it's not very historically accurate. And I think, especially here in the United States, because we know American Western history so well. Yes. But I think that you can't take the history of the OK Corral and things like that and make it a children's fun, applicable thing. And so I think in kind of changing the story a little bit and making it what it is, a Doctor Who story, I think that gives it a little bit more charm too because it's still an element of the Old West that we all kind of appreciate and here really cherish and then on the other hand, you've put it in a different kind of spin or sure. a different scenario. I sure. think that's what makes it quite yeah. enjoyable too. Well, I mean, it's, it, it was the same with the, with the one that doesn't exist, the Myth Makers, uh, which, which really was splendid. I mean, I, I, I loved that and I loved working on it. And we, I liked the other actors who were there. We, we had some good fun with that. And the Myth Makers, of course, I mean, well, I mean, the, the whole story of, uh, of the Siege of Troy is, right. is probably, well, it isn't historically right. correct. In fact, Troy may not even have existed. No one's sure. If it did, it was in Turkey somewhere. We're not sure, anyway. Um, so uh, that element, uh, Doctor Who can always muck around with the history like that. But things like the, the, 
the the massacre, which is again, d- this was a horrible, an absolutely ghastly period in French history. I mean, it's quite dreadful. I don't know if you've ever seen the prints of the massacre of Saint Bartholomew's Eve. There are several which are old prints, or you know, d- etchings and stuff, which have done illustrating the thing. I mean, the murders that took place throughout Paris on that one on St. Bartholomew's Day were absolutely horrific. Anything ISIS is doing now, they were doing it then, and it was really awful. And to make that into something palatable for children, you've got to be careful. Of course, we leave before anything happens, right, right. and that's how we got out of that. But it's a cracking story. The, 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 the OK Corral, everyone knows it vaguely anyway. Even, even in the UK, we know it vaguely. There have been enough White Earp films in the, in the past, and, of course, there was a, a, one very good major film version. of it. Again, I'm told that isn't totally accurate yeah, either, but, I mean, that, that's... That's beside the point. So something was borrowed from it. Donald Cotton wrote this script which worked, and it worked as Doctor Who, and I think that's acceptable. Yes, yeah. Uh, you were talking about the massacre, and I think that's the one that I kind of hope that they find. Oh, me too. Because you're such a central character to that, because we've got the, you know, we've got the Doctor Who's the mistaken identity of, I believe it's... The Abbot of Amboise, yes. And so, in that particular story, you get a lot of, uh, kind of room to be the star, because you're in it, just from what I've seen on Reconstructions and listened to in the audience. Yes. Uh, you get to kind of shine there, and you get to be the star. You're kind of a hero that one, and I really, I, I, I watch the reconstructions, which are a lot of just the snaps of it, you know, that yes, they put together. Yes, yeah. And I look and I think, oh, I really want to see how your acting came across and what you did with this character. And, how, and you can kind yeah. of you can hear it in the voice, but you can't necessarily see it. And that's sure. what I really find. And, and it was a, it was a very good cast as well. Yeah, no, it, it was like that. Interestingly, the original story by John Lucarotti um, is different. There is much more, we see the Doctor a lot more. I mean, we lose him for a great chunk of it. And this was a first opportunity to see if uh, the series still, the, the show still worked with Bill in a, in a more minor role. He doesn't have a minor role in the original story. There's a lot more of what the Doctor does. The only reason I know that is I've just read it on a BBC audio book, which is, which is available now, you know, and it's, it, it's the original story. It is a different telling of the same story, and it's well worth listening to. The differences are, are, are remarkable. Stephen does not lead that quite so much. He does, but he's a bit lost during it. The Doctor does a lot of things, and the Abbot does a lot of things, and there's a couple of very gory things which couldn't possibly have been, we couldn't have done those. Um, and Donald Tosh, who was the story editor, he virtually rewrote the scripts that Donald Cotton, had, uh, that uh, John Lucarotti had written. So it's it's interesting, just purely on the basis that it's a different telling of the same story, but that's the original. That's where it came from. Just real briefly, I wanted to touch on your big finish work. I know that you've come oh, back yeah. to Stephen, and uh, and uh, it sounds thoroughly like you're enjoying itself yourself uh, with it. It's the big finish. Uh, productions are I think exceptional Uh, I listen to them in the car Uh, I don't listen to them at home but I I do listen to them in the car and the production values that are added after we've done the voice recordings is just fantastic They, they design the sound properly and the output of Big Finish is enormous the number of releases they do how on earth they get done I do not know the sound editing is fantastic and 
the stories have given me the opportunity to learn about Stephen, which I would never have had the opportunity to do had I still been in the show and doing that. I mean, Stephen is a different character from the one I even understood him to be. People like Simon Gary and, uh, and our other excellent writers have, uh, have given Stephen a, a totally new lease of life. And I love the exploration of his character after he left the show, after he left the, uh, the, the serials. He stays on this planet and from then on there are stories. And obviously they're done with flashbacks because... It's still Doctor Who, but it is exploring Stephen in a very different way. I mean, in one of them, I'm 70 years old, which is even younger than I am. Uh, but it's, he's 70 years old in the story, looking back, and it's great. So I think it's called The War to End All Wars, which is, which is a super, super story. And there are three that take place on, it's almost a trilogy that takes place after I left Doctor Who. It's, I, I, I've loved what uh, Big Finish has let me do. And you were able great. to um, do another one with uh, Gene Marsh with uh, re- reuniting, in a way, Stephen and Sarah King's character as well. Which I've, I've done two. I've done two with Gene. I think one is called The Anachronauts, yes, which is a yes. great story. That's, that's a super one. And I think, what's the other one I've done with her? Uh, it's, oh, very recently we've done one, uh, I think, is it The Early Adventures? Um, it's a, it's a, about the, the first immigrants from the West Indies coming to, to okay. Britain. I can't remember I what got, it's called. It's it's a it's a new release and okay. it's it really is it's a terrific story and I can't remember its title. It's it's gone from me. I've seen it this morning on, on one of the <laughs> well, vendors' no, tables sure. there, but I can't remember. I, I just can't remember what it's called. The Anachronauts. Thank you. Anachronauts is a very imaginative story. Too. It is. It is. And, and you got to do a little bit of because, uh, of course, you guys are kind of recounting the story. That's half Gene's uh, character, half your character. That's right. And you get to do a little bit of the uh, uh, dialogue of the, of the first Doctor as well. Which I think you do a very good William Hartnell doing the. the well, the well, this this is one of the things I'm really quite proud of. The the uh, and and the more. When it was discovered by Big Finish that I could do a reasonable interpretation of Bill Hartnell, it's, it's not perfect. I don't, I, I'm not saying it's, no, it sounds like it. How, yes, but how it, what it does do is I have a consistency with him that I can carry on performing, and he's acceptable as the first Doctor. He, I, I believe in him. When I listen to it, I, I sometimes do think, no, of course it's me. It's, it's, it's one of those silly, silly things. Um, because they discovered that I did that quite well, and particularly Simon Gary, who I mentioned before, he's written bigger and bigger chunks. So they're harder and harder to do because I'm switching voices. You know, I'm, I'm Stephen arguing with myself as the Doctor and, and doing those. And we. We don't do those as separate lines, and then it all gets edited it's together. It's acting. just doing it along. If if there's too big a gap between me finishing one line of the doctor, if I'm interrupting myself as as the other character, sure. um, then the, the sound editor will take that out. But mostly, he doesn't need to because we ju- I switch. I think Fraser works in the same way he when does, he, he does Patrick. Day, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, you know it's fun. It's fun to do. I'm doing one next week. I mean, I fly home tomorrow, which is uh, Monday, and uh, the following Monday and Tuesday, I'm doing another one with Maureen O'Brien, which is great. Can't tell you anything about it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to.
Well, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule and, and coming and sitting in. I know our listeners are going to get a big kick out of, uh, out of hearing this. No, you're very kind. I've, been, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's been great fun. It's been nice. I've never been to the Midwest, and it, it's interesting. found some great restaurants here in Wichita. I've been to three different ones, and all have been really rather good. So I don't know where we're going tonight. <laughs> it better be as good. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Thank you very much. And there you go. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed those interviews. And thank you so much to my gal Mel, who is, uh, if you enjoyed those interviews, she's really the one to thank because she was instrumental in getting all of that set up and uh, keeping us on task and, and, and providing the, the, the guest wrangling in some regards to, you know, you have to go do this at this time because I've set this up for you. And it's okay because I get in there and. It's yeah. wonderful when Mel's yeah. there because she's always kind of our field producer for these kind of things. Because she, really she she recognizes that number one, first and foremost, we're just kind of enjoying ourselves because we're so wrapped <laughs> up in what's going on. She does too. She enjoys herself too, but we're so wrapped up. Number two, part of her enjoyment being, is going to well, we're being shuffled from here to there, doing panels or being making sure we get things squared away and take care of as far as what we're doing personally for what we're what we're trying to do. And so she's always very good about okay. We're going to get this guy. So she's always out there field producing for us and getting those little behind the things, things, things out. And we, we do. We, we owe her an immense of gratitude for that. Well, and you, you heard her. I mean, she, she apologized afterwards because I didn't really mean to be on the Victor panel or on the, on the, in the, in the interview with you. But she said, I just, you know, he, he, he was a joy to talk to. And again, you just, you heard it as it just, it just kind of came out of that, that he was so much of a blast. So hopefully we can have him back on the show again and maybe get, get a little more in depth with some of the stuff that was going on. But I just kind of let some him go other because stuff he, that we didn't. Yeah, there was a ton of stuff we didn't talk There's about. There's so much it. in his life that we haven't touched on. And I, I'll be remiss if I don't give a quick shout-out to Sarah, who yes. uh, actually helped out with Caitlin a lot because <laughs> a lot of times she would uh, uh, hang out with her. She helped her with the, uh, the scavenger hunt. Scavenger hunt, yeah. and then she also took her down to the panel that she, yeah. wanted, she was really looking forward to seeing. So. I, I think Sarah enjoyed having someone to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> while I was off. Especially while you were <laughs> Yeah, because, yeah, well, we, again, we get tied up in things. Yeah. So. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Um for this special episode, uh, if you like us and enjoyed what you heard here, we are on Facebook, Traveling the Vortex, Twitter, at Travel Vortex. You can like, or if you really liked what you heard, we have a Patreon account set up where you can go and subscribe to us and and give us your precious uh, hard-earned money that we would <laughs> highly your appreciate. My precious. Your precious. <laughs> Uh, we, we all want you to start sending us rings now. <laughs> <laughs> we also for yourself. Have a, I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested, we also have a Spreadshirt show, store where you can go and buy Traveling the Vertex, Vortex merchandise as well as an Amazon uh, link on our website where anything you purchase from Amazon through that link will go directly towards us. Uh, we're also on Tumblr, Goodreads, all the different places. And you can, of course, if you found this through iTunes – Visit our website at travelingthevortex.com. If you visit us on iTunes and you like the show, please give us a review on there as well. We yes. haven't asked for that for a while, but uh, we'd love to have your review, good or bad. We prefer five stars, but, you know, whatever you feel. <laughs> Be honest. That's I mean, right. Be honest with us. Um, and if you have feedback that you'd like to send us about something that we're doing or something we're going to be talking about, we read feedback out on the show when we have it, and we'll, we'll happily include you in that family as well. You can either do that by feedback at travelingthevortex.com or on the website. There is a form you can fill out on the website. And uh, one other small plug, if you found us, we do uh, have a, a fun uh, social event every week online that we call Friday Night Who. We get together Friday night at midnight, virtually, and watch a... Uh, a 
Episode Technically of Doctor Saturday Who. morning. Technically Saturday <laughs> morning at midnight. Uh, and uh, this week happens to be uh, the, because this is going to go out this week, isn't it? I can say that. Uh, we're going to do uh, Warriors from the Deep, which is a Peter Davidson story. Hashtag Friday Night Who. Uh, it's a live tweet Twitter. along. And it's yeah. a live tweet along on Twitter. Which it, we were doing this before it was cool, thanks to Glenn. He was the one that really pointed us onto this. Now everybody does like William Shatner live tweets to his show. Whatever he, William Shatner live tweets to not his show. Yeah, whatever he watches. <laughs> yeah, anything he's yeah. watching. Anything he's, he's watching, he live tweets, tweets along with it. So, but you can join in with other Whovians and, and have some fun with that. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this side trip. I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.